Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google certificates. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. Do not forget to buy lentils, or the lentil soup you're making for dinner will be sorely lacking. By the way, Mrs. Calloway says thanks for helping her bundle home and auto. She appreciates the extra savings, even though you kept using the word apropos incorrectly. But the main thing is do not forget to buy, uh, what was it? Something apropos, the lentil soup. Sorry, I'll call you back. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Meara, Democratic pollster. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster. And each week we bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So before we get into all of our fantastic top lines, a couple announcements. On Monday, if you are in the Boston area, if you are part of the Harvard crew or adjacent, Harvard adjacent crew, I will be at a Harvard IOP event with John Delavolpe and Tony Fabrizio, both. I'm so jealous of you. And Mark Penn. It's going to be so fun. And Mark Penn. And and so it will be the four pollsters and uh john del Volpe, i think is moderating and tony fabrizio also fantastic prior guest that's still my favorite thing we've done on this show i know it's like one of the few things we've done like made actual news not just like us yep. saying hey look at us we went, we're news i've like, been thinking about it news. a lot today with all of the cambridge analytica brouhaha which we'll get to that later in the show so folks should come take a look and show up for that um i'm gonna have an announcement soon so watch me on twitter and stuff because it will be coming out soon really soon um within the next week probably before we record next time um and we are going to be in la just a reminder on the 9th november 9th so those are all the things that's a lot of things that's a lot of things that's a lot of things and also shout out i was in a great event last night for jennifer lawless who has literally written not just the book all the books on women in politics and why women run for office or don't run for office and we've quoted her on the show before even though i think even though i know her very well personally i have missed spoken her name as Jennifer Lawrence. She's Jennifer Lawrence. I have to imagine she gets that a lot. Just like not her fault. (laughs) It just, I have to believe it happens a lot. So anyway, she had a really fantastic book event for her book and uh, which was like speed dating where people would come by and you would talk to them for a few minutes and then they move on to another table with some other fabulous lady. There was one gentleman, but lots of fabulous ladies. Anyway, lots of friends of the show and folks who listen to the show came up to me. So hello, listeners. That was so cool. We really love when you come up to us and say you listen to the show. Um, that is super cool. So um, hopefully you don't find anything that we say today too repetitive of that. This week's top lines. Mr. 39%. He's taken on a gold star widow. And we'll take a look at polls on what the military thinks about President Trump and more. Virginia pollsters are not hurting. They are letting their freak polls fly. We will talk about the <laughs> wide-ranging results that we see in the upcoming Virginia gubernatorial race. Um, Pew's typology report has come out. We've got a column and a deep dive to talk about. Then a few weeks ago, I did tease that I had a Cambridge Analytica rant. We have more YOLO rants. Buckle up, kids. <laughs> I'm unleashed today. I'm unleashed. Thanks, Julian Assange. Wink. Uh, and finally, happy Halloween. We have a little spooky polling for you. But first, our poll of the week. Who on earth are the 6% of you who say you like Harvey Weinstein more now that these allegations are out there. I know. One of the many tragedies of all this is now I'm going to have to think less of this song, which I love so much. It's just it such a cute, snappy song. Lots of Mr. Big Stuff. But it just refers to basically like no everybody. Yeah. Recently. Lots, <laughs> yes. Lots and lots of dudes. Yes. Who do you think you are? I don't know. They're not They're not thinking, clearly. Not thinking. But you know what? Um, most Americans think that this is not okay. So in the poll of the week, we have from our buddies at Morning Consult. 
They asked, how much have you seen, read, or heard about allegations of sexual harassment and assault by Hollywood producer Harvey Weinstein? 34% say a lot. 35% say some. Remember this? There was the, uh, we're not going to do an SNL skit about this because, oh, it's just a New York thing. Right, right, right. That was a misfire, SNL, because it's not just a New York thing. It is. Uh, it has kickstarted a movement. Um, then they ask, do you have a favorable or unfavorable view of the following people or institutions? 6%. Have a very favorable view of Harvey Weinstein. Boo. Boo to you. Yeah, I mean, and okay, so maybe you're those folks that don't know about this. But then, then, this is actually, I, my 6% it was me understating it. I was calling to the wrong number. As you may know, Hollywood producer Harvey Weinstein has been accused of sexual harassment and assault by dozens of women, including actresses he has worked with and other employees, dating back nearly three decades. Knowing this, do you have a more or less favorable view of Harvey Weinstein? The 10% of you who say more favorable, get out. (laughs) Get out of my podcast. You're done. You're shunned. You're out. (laughs) That is crazy. I mean, do you think dating back nearly three decades, does that sound like if people think, oh, well, it happened three decades ago? Or is it it more favorable? Yes. No, I'm not excusing. I'm just trying to find. A, trolling the pollster. Yeah. Or B, you reading comprehension yeah b reading comprehension c you genuinely applaud this behavior and like yeah he's a man's man uh i don't know which one makes me despair for humanity more Hmm. i'm gonna i'm gonna go with reading comprehension is the most optimistic yes that's the that's it that's it Okay, then knowing this, are you more or less likely to buy movie tickets to see movies produced by the Weinstein Company? Oh, this... Uh, then you have about a half, of, let's say roughly a half or say... No, no, I don't know. The, uh, this is a dramatic... Like a question that asks people to dramatically overestimate the amount of information they consume about a movie before yeah. they walk in. Right. And... Not only that, he's been fired by the Weinstein. I mean, he's been fired by the Weinstein Company. The Weinstein Company is probably going to be sold if it even is going to continue to exist. And so then are you then allowed, even if you were otherwise going to watch those movies, are you now not, you were not going to watch them, would you now? And then it's not even just like new movies because obviously new movies done by his company with him being fired, you are perhaps really fair game. It's it's older movie. Like, will you now not watch Pulp Fiction? Yeah, that's why I think like people saying, "Oh, I'm or is less this whole thing." To but watch. yeah, <laughs> or are you just asking people like you know a question that they can't answer? So, but anyway, it's still you have half say, "Yeah, I don't really know." Sorry, I don't can't really give you an answer. So that's then Mr. Big Stuff's taking a nosedive in the polling. We don't know what Harvey Weinstein's favorables were like before. I'm guessing they were not quite that bad. Uh, they were probably very low, just by by low name ID. Unless you'd really like watched. I think I know. I I do think before this happened, a lot of people would not have known who Harvey Weinstein was. Yeah, I think that's probably right. I mean, if you watch Entourage, you would know because there's a character on the show that's like him. If you really follow entertainment news and fashion, you probably had vaguely heard of him, right? But yeah, I don't know. And then um. There was a thing, maybe we talked about last week, but it was in Huffington Post, YouGov, and they asked, like, how big of a problem do you think sexual harassment is in Hollywood versus America overall? And there was a lot of bipartisan agreement that it was bad in Hollywood, but um, Trump voters were less concerned about it in America overall. They were particularly concerned about it in Hollywood, something like that. Anyway, everyone's got a partisan angle. So everyone's got a partisan angle. Meanwhile... Uh, Mr. So someone at this event last night, someone came up to me and said, I hope that Trump stays at 40% so Kristen can keep calling him Mr. 40%. No, it's, it's not going to happen. <laughs> Sorry. I tried to make Fetch happen and it's not going to happen. His approval rating as of uh, right now, as of press time, is 39%, which just, it's it's not as snappy. No. It's like it's like little Bob Corker. It's like a it's like a very like not one not your best. So not Cri- your best work. So Kristen, do you think that he's gone down a point? It, I'm I'm like pretending to ask you a dumb media question. Has he gone down a point because of Jeff Flake's uh speech on the floor? Do you no. think that explains why he's at thirty no. nine? 
point zero as no. opposed to thirty nine point eight. <laughs> no. <laughs> How soon do you think it's going to take for me to get a satisfactory dip in the, you know, in the polling for that? Um, Yeah, it's, I mean, I went on, I was on Morning Joe this morning and we talked about the Fox News poll that came out that shows Trump's approval at 38%. And they were like, it's a drop of four points since Fox's last poll, which is accurate. Um, But Fox's last poll had been toward the top of the rank, you know, has Trump fallen four points in a month? Not if you average all the polls together. Right. So, and that poll still showed, was 87% of Trump voters approve of him, 83% of Republicans. And his numbers are still pretty good among his people, which is why it is just so hard for those numbers to fall much further than they have. So yeah. Maybe I, I, if I tried to make Mr. 39% stick, I'd have better luck because I think that is closer to where these numbers have hovered. But Mr. Forty Percent just sounds better. So just do it, you know. It's I just, mean, like, well, you yeah. think you think Trump is going to send you a fact-checking all caps tweet about your poll because I'm overestimating his <laughs> approval rating? It's not true. I don't. I'm not at forty percent, and then uh. everyone tweets back, "Yeah, you're at thirty-nine percent today." Anyway, um, that would be a fun day. That would be a fun day for me to observe if that happened. I still remain a little stunned that we've. I, I know enough people like. Mary Catherine has been, uh, my friend Mary Catherine Ham. she has been the subject of a Trump tweet in the last two years. You know, like we have, we have various people in our orbits who have, who have been in the, in the target, uh, in the center of the target. We've escaped it. I, I like, um, I like, it's always a fun day when someone in my feed gets blocked by Trump, which happens quite frequently. And Liz Plank, who folks may know, she's a real, she's a funny gal wit on the left. And so she, when she got blocked, she posted on Facebook and said, was it everything I said? <laughs> which I don't know why. Like I, it's not like the world's most complicated joke, but I still laugh at it every time. Was, not it, just, was it something I said? Yeah. Was it everything was I said? Was it everything I said? Um, so meanwhile, Morning Consult Politico did this poll that shows, and I mean, this is, you know, these are things that we all know and that we've seen in other polls. And it's just astounding to see how consistent the numbers are here and how well does blank apply to Trump. And they have a variety of uh, different trait dimensions. And they just have yes, no, not a scale, but still strong leader, trustworthy, knowledgeable, too liberal, too conservative, sexist, racist. I mean, things that you would never see asked about previous presidents, reckless, um, thin skinned, stable, you know, just like a, that's a pretty, seems like a very low bar, right? Stable. Um, but yet a majority say no to, he's not stable. A majority say he's thin skinned. Um, a majority say he's reckless. A majority say he's not honest. Uh, majority say he doesn't care about people like me or that he's not compassionate. I mean, the numbers are bad. Okay. There's no, but the, the, uh, good that news he is here. too ideologically extreme is not like that's one of the things that he doesn't get tagged with. Yeah. Only 26% think he's too conservative. Yeah. To which I say, does that mean the word conservative is surviving the Trump era? <sighs> well, we'll talk about that. We'll I talk don't about know. the future apology report. I don't but know. I maybe, don't know. maybe. I don't know. Looking I mean, for silver who, who can even pay attention to all that when there's like people are like stable, stable <laughs> people are like, yeah, I don't know. You know, he, he, all I know is he's not stable. Like I can't make heads or tails of his well, conservatism. Was, what's interesting to me here are the items where, um, even, even his own, you know, it seems as though even some of his own supporters, uh, will acknowledge. I mean, these, these numbers of like, is he uh, thin-skinned? The no number is lower than his job approval, right? Yeah. There are people who are like, yeah, I approve of him, but he might be a little racist. So 30- and it's like, oh. Right. Okay. That, right. So this is, the, this is the challenge then. What do you do in that situation, right? So Actually, racist is one of the ones where he has the low that, – that is actually – that was a bad one for me to choose off of this list given the numbers. But things like – um, is he reckless? Reckless. So reckless. Yes. So if you look at, uh, it, it, this was pulled out in the article, a third of Republicans feel that he's reckless. A third, right? Even though his disapproval rating among Republicans is 20%. So there was like a group of Republicans that say, I approve of him. I also think he's reckless. Yeah. Feature not a bug. I mean, the, the cover of time this week is pictures of wrecking balls with Trump's face on it. 
And the cover is something like how Trump is dismantling government as we know it. And one assumes that when Time made this cover that this is like, this is a bad cover for Trump. We're making fun of him or we're showing how destructive he is. And if I'm Donald Trump, I probably take that cover and frame it in my office. But why? You already have the made up one that says... I'm the greatest, you know, Trump, greatest Added man to ever. Collection. Well, Added why, to the collection. Why would you have a real time cover next to your fake time cover with like the wrong font or whatever he did to it? Um, okay, so that's all really depressing but news. One, one of the things that I've been asked about this week, you know, is the the question that you asked me sort of making fun of the way the media talks about polls and, oh, is, is the right. Jeff Flake's speech not, move Not voters. any of you listeners, media listeners. Not any of you listeners. You all know better. But um, but I, I, I do also get asked questions like, will Trump's feud with this Gold Star family, what's going on? I Actually, it was funny. And, and I, I love Dan and Paula at GMA on the weekends. That's like, I don't do GMA during the week usually, but I, I will do it on weekends frequently. And one of the questions they asked me was, you know, the White House wants this Gold Star family feud to go away. Is it going Is it going to? And my response was, I don't actually think he wants it to go away. I think the White House as an institution, and if you're thinking about like his advisors and things, like they may want it to go away. I think that's but probably Donald fair to say. Trump does not. And I came home and within an hour, he had he had gone on like a tweet storm about the Gold Star <laughs> family. And I just emailed it back to all of them so like, bad. guys, you know what? When I actually predict things these days, I'm taking all sorts of credit for it. So here you go. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. You know, it doesn't make any sense. But and when, when you ask, so Military Times has now actually done a poll of what do service members think about Donald Trump? And this is before the incident with the Gold Star family that this poll was taken. Yes. But, but this is, I think, a very relevant audience because. Yes. This is, it may be before this incident with the Gold Star family, but it is not before the convention, the con the last incident yes. with the Gold Star family. So this is, that is, is baked in, in part. Um, and Trump is actually popular among enlisted folks in the military. His favorables um, are a net plus, uh, plus 11 or so. I get, no, a net plus 10, if you're rounding. Um, favorable, 47%. Unfavorable, 37%. Um, among officers, however, Trump is not very popular. Unfavorable is 53%. Favorable is uh, 31%. So, okay. So, you know, that's good news that he's more popular than not with enlisted. It's not like overwhelming popularity, right? I mean, we should just be like, and maybe it's because enlisted folks are pretty, also pretty demographically diverse population too. But I mean, that number is not like normally the military is like a conservative Republican treasure trove of support, right? This is your commander in chief. These are folks who, you know, lean conservative in a variety of ways. 47 to 37 is not like massive, you know, that's not the, those aren't the strongest numbers ever. And what I thought it was pretty interesting. Actually, they broke it out by different branch of the military with folks in the Marines, particularly favorable, 59 to 17. Um, Navy and Air Force net unfavorable. Army slightly uh, favorable, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, and then here's a question that got a lot of press. Um, they asked, what threat do white nationalists pose to U.S. national security? And you had a 30% say significant, 21% say moderate, and then a third, I mean, sorry, 3% say small, and 18% say none. Um, that, I mean, I found that pretty interesting. I'm not totally sure how people would interpret that question exactly. Um, you know, are people thinking about that domestically, I guess? It's not totally, it's not totally clear. Maybe... Yeah, because you could think of it as, is it a threat of, of white nationalists Somewhere committing else. committing violent acts within the United States? Yep. Is it white nationalists outside the United States committing violent acts here? Or is it that the destabilization of society caused by racial tensions that are inflamed by white nationalists makes it harder for us as a nation to be unified and defend ourselves? Yeah. Which is, I, I, that's another way to look at it. Yep. Um, one thing while you were talking that I just pulled up because I was curious, you know, when you look at these breaks between officers and enlisted, um, 
I was kind of, you know, you mentioned, okay, well, the military is usually a fairly Republican-leaning entity. Right. Um, So I pulled up, there's an interesting Pew report from uh, April on the demographics of who serves in the military. And I feel like we did talk about this on the show. Um, But, you know, you can't really separate these things out. And so the military nowadays is actually quite racially and ethnically diverse. Um, You know, you have... Uh, 17% of active duty military forces are black, 12% are Hispanic, 7% um, are something else, 4% are Asian. Uh, so you, you know, it, it is, it's a diverse right. entity. Um, it is, it is predominantly male, not exclusively, but predominantly. So, you know, there are these various factors playing a role here. Right. And when you look at the difference between enlisted and officers, you also have an education level difference that the Pew report says that for active duty enlisted, 92% of them um, have a high school degree or some college, but, but do not have a bachelor's where for active duty officers, um, 42% have an advanced degree. 42% have a bachelor's degree. Only 6% are high school or some mm-hmm. college. So they're in the same way that if we were looking at a poll and we saw a cross tab, of how do you feel about Trump? Like college education is a big dividing line on right. how you think about Trump. Right. So if you have one piece of the military that has a different education crosstab going on, these things are all related. Is all right. I'm so to you say. have gender at, uh, playing a role in uh, how enlisted folks feel. You have education. You have racial and ethnic diversity, and you have whatever sort of you know, quote unquote, natural tendency for the military to be a little bit more conservative. Um, so you take all that and I guess that's how you get w- and you get Trump's numbers overall. And I guess that's how you end up with Trump being more popular than not, but not, you know, universally beloved. Look, I mean, it, you'd have to just be with a group of Republicans in order for there to be like strong ratings for Trump. So yeah. Um, and then, then one other thing with, which they asked, which has a little bit, this is from military times, a little bit more, uh, agreement than the views toward Trump is Trump's comments on transgender troops not being allowed to serve. 53% say yes, they approve. 34% say no. I don't know how those, how that would be different if it didn't say Trump's comments, you know, if it was just about, do you think transgender troops should be allowed to serve or not? It's also, do you approve of his comments as opposed to do you support or not support the policy, which may or may not have a different result? You could say, yeah, sure, he could say that. I, you know, he can say whatever he wants. We feel different, you know, I feel differently. Who knows? Or maybe I'm reading too much into it. Maybe this is a, like a no, good facsimile can, of like how people feel about the I policy. I mean, I, I always, uh, it, this is an example of it's, it's, I'm, I'm not trying to discredit the result, but just it's yeah. an interesting language thing from asking question, uh, from a question language perspective. Uh, do you approve of Trump's comments that transgender troops should not be allowed to serve? Um, so you're asking, do you, do you, are you positive on a negative? Right. Basically the, 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 you know, are you, so you can see a respondent going, yes. And maybe they mean transgender troops. Yes. Should be allowed to serve. I mean, I'm not saying that's what's happening here, but if if a question changes from the negative to the positive midway, you can have respondent confusion issues. Yep. 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 So, um, so that's military times. We'll you know who also that. sounds confused? Virginia voters. <laughs> so yes. there is some polling that has come out of the state of Virginia where not next week, week after that is uh, the gubernatorial election, Ralph Northam versus Ed Gillespie. Uh, the big news dropped yesterday afternoon. Hampton University has released a poll showing Ed Gillespie up by eight which is a very surprising finding given that the polling average at the moment has Northam up by four. And so this immediately led to a lot of questions. Was this right? Was this wrong? Um, The poll has an awful lot of undecideds, which is one kind of red flag. If you have a poll of likely voters and over 20% of them say they don't know who they're going to vote for, they're not likely voters. Especially when you have... This is an odd year. I mean, in Virginia, your people are used to voting in odd years for their statewides, but still, it's not quite the same in terms of turnout as a presidential year. I'm not trying to say that nobody's undecided. There certainly, you may, you, you listener out there, you may well be undecided, but certainly plan to vote in this election. Um, but that you, that is not 20 some percent of the Virginia likely electorate. And so that's one of those things where, 
Odd year turnouts are tricky. It, yep, it, it is. And so this is one of the reasons why even though the polling averages have north them up, there's just all of this kind of atmospherics, you know, people going, ah, it just feels like Gillespie's got them, got momentum. It just feels like, you know, maybe, maybe this is going to happen. Maybe Gillespie can pull this off. And did they use voter file and did they use? Well, this was a question, um, friend of the show, Ariel Edwards Levy. Yes. Was tweeting yesterday that she was like, I will read your methodology statement. <laughs> I am, I, this is what I live for. Uh, and that in there, in the methodology statement, it seemed to imply this is a poll conducted RDD, which RDD, random digit dial, means that they're just randomly dialing phone numbers that are Virginia mm. phone numbers. But then it says that they, the sample is a list of registered voters in Virginia, which is it's not, not R- the RDD. same as RDD. So, um, so it, they could be using a list, but not a voter file list, but like people who have been quote unquote listed with the phone book. I mean, I not mean, with a phone book, well, but like have their phone number out there in the world. And so that's not necessarily a voter file, but it's not necessarily RDD where it's not connected to a person. And RDD is just like registered voter people list. live in this precinct. People live in this like two, three, four exchange on your phone number. And so we're going to just call people there because it seems like it's likely to be a residential area. That's RDD listed is. Someone named Margie lives at this address and we're at this phone number. Hi, I'm call a pollster. Her. May yeah. I please speak to Kristen Anderson? Yeah. And if Kristen Anderson is not available, right. you know, <laughs> right. figure something else out. So, exactly. and the, so the, the, the Hampton poll has Gillespie up eight. At the same time, you have a, Ham, a Quinnipiac University poll that came out uh, just a couple days before that has Northam up 14. So... That shrug. We, it's not an emoji. What's it when you the, have the like? The, oh yeah, not the, a. I, I, I think what are those it, things called? It's not technically a shrug emoji. It's, it's a uh, shrug. When you it's like, like all the characters yeah. together to look like a shrugging person, right? What's that called when you use like? I don't know, listeners. Got, what it, what is got, that? Called? It's got to be a thing because it's not an emoji. I have used kind of, shrug emoji as shorthand for that thing, but you are right that it is technically not an emoji. <laughs> um. So a, a big thing that people are worried about in the polling world is herding, right? Are, and this was something that came up in 2014 where Hampton had leaked, oh, we've got a poll about the Gillespie Senate race. And then they didn't release it and they've never released it. And the speculation was, did that poll show Gillespie really, really, really close? Right. Which would have been way out of line with where most of the polls were. And they went, uh, is our data weird? And then they just sat on it. Right. And then, oh, nope, it turned out to be right. And I think this happened in the British elections mm-hmm. where some – nobody is sitting on their weird data this time. One pollster says Northam plus 14. One pollster says Gillespie plus 8. That is right. a wide range. Right. Well, you know, there is also going to be voting in Tacoma Park on that no- same November for the local Tacoma Park elections for the mayor who I think – uh, listens to the show, or at least occasionally listens to the show. And in Tacoma Park, 16 to 18 year olds can vote. There's same day registration and non-citizens can vote. And uh, the reason I knew that is because some cuckoo candidate for governor in Florida, like tweeted out like undocumented illegals can vote in Tacoma Park <laughs> like, as like his campaign. I think you retweeted oh, it. Oh yeah. That was Adam Putnam. It wasn't, was it Adam Putnam yeah. that did that? Yeah. I thought it was like some person I who was like, Google this right now. I feel like it was somebody I hadn't heard of before. And I've heard of Adam Putnam. No, it, no. Yeah. It's, it's Adam Putnam. Well then. Okay. I thought, well, that's San even- Fran and Tacoma park have been overrun by illegals. They're allowing illegals to vote. I don't Is know how thing? that matters to anybody voting in Florida, but I heard, I was like, Oh, my dad's not undocumented. He is a legal resident, but and he can vote and he has same day registration, which I don't think he's as excited about this as I am. But anyway, he can now vote and then it'll be even more incredible when people call our landline <laughs> to talk to him to be in telephone surveys. Power to you. Good luck getting, getting a good answer out of him on how, uh, how he feels about your political issue. Um, so moving on to this Pew typology poll. Yeah, so this is one of those, there are a couple times a year where it's like Christmas for the pollsters. Yes. And what for me, that's when the Harvard Institute of Politics drops their youth polls. That always feels like a, like a, like a mid-year birthday for me. Yes. 
Uh, but this is also one of them. Yes. The Pew Political Typology Report, um, where they go through and conduct an, an awful lot of quest interviews and segment America into a variety of different buckets. Yes. Um, beyond just Republican, Democrat, what have you. So like segmentation, cluster segmentation, based on views toward a variety of issues. So it's not just, you know, red team, blue team. Right. And uh, there, there has been some... So first, before I I give the uh, before I give the critique, because there's always a critique, uh, the the buckets that it largely divides people in. So I'll I'll go over the ones on the right very briefly. You have core conservatives, country first conservatives, market skeptic Republicans, and new era enterprisers. I love these names. I really wish they had just put the selfie vote down <laughs> for new era enterprisers because it's what they've described. Like they basically describe the nine percent of America that is the selfie vote demo. Actually there's a there's a Democrat group that is gettable by the selfie vote. I think. Yeah. Opportunity well, Democrats. Well, you know, we'll, it, oh, okay. Well, well, that's all fair game. I, I'm just relieved. I mean, they could have made these like how you sometimes see it. Like, this is Sally. Sally, she shops at uh, whatever. And she has two kids. And she, you know, lives in a house. Right? See, I still kind of like the Cracker Barrel versus. Right, right, right. But they like. Whole Foods shorthand. They're, they're, a little like redu- they're a little reductive. But people can kind of remember those a little bit more than. Was it New Your Enterprisers? Or was it Market Skeptic? What? You know. These so, are not, not as many. Memorable. No, but they are more. There's maybe a little bit more like data integrity. To yeah, date, and to, to give you a very very brief defin- description of each. So core conservatives is kind of your standard issue Republican, right? Strong on defense, uh, fiscally conservative, get the government out of things. Uh, they think the economic system is fair. Everybody should be pulling themselves up by their bootstraps. Um, and they're kind of middle of the road ish on immigration. Uh, then you have the country first conservatives, which are very – they're fiscally conservative-esque, but they're very much opposed to U.S. involvement in the global economy. They think immigrants are taking our jobs. They don't think the economic system is necessarily fair. Um, and they're very socially conservative as well. These are kind of your, like, cultural backlash right. folks. Yes. They're isolationist cultural backlash type folks, which I, I, I'm – I know it sounds like a pejorative. I am just offering descriptors. Yes, yes, yes. Um, market skeptic Republicans are different in that they are not culturally conservative, but they are still v- and are slightly – the temperatures turned down a little on the immigration piece, mm-hmm. but they really think the economic system is is screwing them over. Um, and then last, you have these new era enterprisers who – they are the least likely of the groups on the right to approve of Donald Trump. Um, they are the least likely to say government can't afford to do more to help needy Americans, which I will talk about that question in a second because I've got beef. Okay. Um, but they also think glo- – They're the least white. They're the least white. They're the youngest. Again, I'm telling you, this yeah. is the selfie vote yeah, right yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they think being involved in the global economy is good. They do not think immigrants are taking – our jobs and our housing. They're the youngest, but they're on average older than me. So let's just like they're not like they're not kids. Okay, <laughs> we're doing what we can, Margie. We're doing what we I can. Just like say they're not young. They're not. They're like, it's all age is nothing but number. It's all relative. Um, so they they basically they are you know personal responsibility types, but they don't think that immigrants are bad. They don't think homosexuality should be discouraged by society. That's that's not their game. So that is the four divisions on the right and Pew sort of assumes that if you looked at uh, the politically engaged public, those core conservatives are 20% of the public uh, politically engaged voters, I should say. Right, right. Country first conservatives, 6%. Market skeptic Republicans, 10%. And new era enterprisers, 9%. So the hope during the whole Republican primary was, oh, can you fuse the core conservatives and the new era enterprisers together? And, you know, this is how we get the, the like the Rubio... Kasich ticket or whatever. Uh, and that didn't work. Instead, the, that whole field was fractured and the country first conservatives teamed up with the market skeptic Republicans. And even though they are smaller, even when combined than the core conservative group, that's how you get Trump. Well, this was all super interesting. And I looked at this table and obviously we linked to all this. And so Pew has this great table where they show how the different segments break out across some of these, you know, pretty important dividing lines. And one where there's this massive differences, uh, U.S. economic system is generally fair to most Americans. And so among 
one group, so this is the market skeptics, 5% agree with that. Among two of the four Republican groups, 75% agree with that. I mean, that is such a massive, massive gap. And I was like, oh, Kristen, look, and she's like, this, you said, this is what I'm writing my column. Oh, <laughs> so well, like, I saw this, I'm like, holy moly. I mean, that is how you get these big debates over, like, what are we going to do about taxes, right? I mean, mm-hmm. how, what are we doing about, you know, what about the, uh, bank lawsuit bill that just passed, right, in the Senate. So those kinds of arguments, which, you know, folks on the left say, well, isn't this, looks like this should be virulently divisive on the right. It is, according to some of this data, but are are these issues bubbling up to being vote drivers? Well, I, I wrote my column this week, sort of keying off of the stuff that Bannon said at the California GOP convention over the weekend, which was, you know, he got us, you know, everybody hooting and hollering when he says that like George W. Bush is the most destructive president that America's had and that he's an embarrassment and incompetent. And it's like, wow, what universe are we living in that Steve Bannon stands in front of a Republican crowd in a blue state and like they they applaud him for saying these things. Um, and how big is his wing of the party? This is a very hot topic now because with Jeff Flake retiring, with Bob Corker retiring, there is a sense that, well, Bannon is fighting for to make the Republican Party his, and no one is, like, contesting his fight for it. Right. Um, but there is room to contest his fight for it. Yeah. Because the, it, even if you combine the country-first conservatives and the market-skeptic Republicans, they are not the majority of the right. The question is, is there anybody else trying to lead the new era enterprisers or the core conservatives? Or is there a vacuum of leadership there? And if there is a vacuum, then yes, Bannon is going to win the fight. Right. But my column was... Especially since like that's what everybody wants to cover these kinds of like... Sure. You know, the bomb throwers and the like, you know, the scream, the scream ups, you know? Well, I mean, and I've spent, you know, a couple of the last few days looking at different polls about George W. Bush's approval rating among Republicans. It's actually gone up because Democrats now kind of like him. Like, like he's hanging out with Lady Gaga. He's cool now, you know. Uh, but even among Republicans, his favorables are 75 to 80 percent, depending on the poll. Uh, so the idea that, you know, you can go stand in a crowded ballroom of, you know, people drinking wine and having a fancy dinner who are like, yes, boo, George W. Bush. Like, it may be the case that Bannon will learn the, the lesson that the core conservatives learned, which is you can say stuff to a room of people dressed all fancy at a dinner and they applaud you. And it doesn't mean that's where voters are. Bannon may learn that lesson, too, in the same way that the rest of the Republican did last year. Yes, yes. Okay. All right. Well, what's going on on the left? All right. So on the left, there's different kinds of dividing lines. Um, And so they also break everybody up into four groups. And they say for the first time, there are two groups of Democrats that are majority minority. So that's new. So there are four groups. There's the solid liberals, opportunity Dems, disaffected Dems, and devout and diverse. So again, you know, it's not quite, the names are not necessarily as, um, as sort of memorable archetypes, but they do, I guess, describe uh, where people are. The solid liberal group, that's the most like hardcore liberal group. It's also um, far more likely to be a college educated group, 57% college educated. There's no other group of the four that is majority college educated. Um, it is the whitest, 73% are white. I think it's also the most female, roughly. It's about 60% female. These are like the marchers, right? You know, we've talked about this before. I talked about this when I was at the, uh, event last night. Like there is this, you know, group of Democrats. We need to be mindful of folks on the left that we don't think of all Democrats as being this group, this group of sort of the like the, um, the folks who feel, you know, the most angry, there's, we'll talk about it a little bit. This is the group that feels the most strained. If they had someone in their network who was a Trump supporter, they'd be le- like the most likely to have a hard time with that family member or having that conversation over dinner. The right is not all Breitbart and the left is not all Chapo trap house, right? Like that, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> right, exactly. And so, anyway, so that's what the solid liberal group is. Um, and then you have the devout and uh, diverse and disaffected Democratic groups that are um, that are well, the devout and diverse is the oldest group, a majority. Uh, uh, are, I mean, sorry, on average, they're fifty two percent, fifty two years old. That's their average. They're lower in terms of college uh, education. Only fifteen percent have a college degree. So very different there. And if you look at the 
uh, different kinds of issues that break these groups. I don't think you see anything quite as dramatic as that, like five versus seventy-five that uh, we saw on the on the Republican side. But there are a couple issues that are really important. So one is the issue of faith. And this is probably not a surprise. This is something that, you know, Democrats struggle with as a party overall. How do we talk about faith when we have people who are very religious in our group and we have people in who are not religious and we want everybody to feel part of our, you know, being inclusive means we want all those folks to feel like they can be, you know, they have equal voice in public life. And so the devout and diverse and what's this other one called the disaffected Democrats um, are more likely to say it's necessary to believe in God to be moral and have good values. The diverse, uh, devout group, 64% believe that. The disaffected group, 41%. The solid liberal, the marcher type, 9% feel that way. That's a pretty big difference. And it is part of, you know, is one of the challenges Democrats face in terms of, you know, strengthening and broadening their tent. Um, there's another uh, dividing line on government regulation of business is necessary to protect public interest. Um, the solid liberal groups, uh, 96% agree with that. When you look at the devout and diverse and the um, disaffected group, you know, just under 40% feel that that's necessary. That's not necessarily their priority. It doesn't mean that they're like strongly opposed to it, but it says, is it necessary? They don't necessarily feel that it's necessary. Another dividing line is hard work and determination are no guarantee of success for most people and the solid liberal group most likely to agree with this 73%. So this is the group that is the most college educated. Um, they are, have the highest income of the four groups. They're the whitest with most college degree, most likely to have a higher income. And they're the most likely to say hard work and determination are no guarantee for success. While the groups that are a little bit more downscale in terms of their, um, college degree and income, um, are less likely to say that, uh, that there's no guarantee. And it's consistent with what we saw. I think we spoke about it last week, or maybe it just came out over the last week. I can't remember where Pew also showed that. Um, the, oh, yes, we did talk about last week. Democrats, there was a big dividing line of long education on the perspective of like how our women face discrimination that's keeping them from success, where more upscale Democrats were more likely to say, yes, this, these are challenges that people face than downscale Democrats. Well, this, uh, this question of hard work and determination are no guarantee of success for most versus most people can get ahead if willing to work hard. The three groups that are the most likely to say, most people can get ahead if they're willing to work hard are core conservatives, new era enterprisers, a.k.a. the selfie voters, and opportunity Democrats, the selfie voters, Democratic best friends. <laughs> and and together, those three create That's Kristen's the, the, party. The, the, Jeb, the Jeb Bush presidency <laughs> on Earth 7. <laughs> um, you know, because look, 61% of people overall say most people can get ahead if they're willing to work hard. 36% say hard work and determination are no guarantee of success for most. So a majority say most people can get ahead if they work hard. The groups that most prominently hold that view are not all on the right. It's like these two groups on the right plus this one group on the left. But that is also, even though that's a majority view, like those are the groups that are having the most, well, especially the new era enterprisers and opportunity Dems, like they're not in vogue right now. Right, right. Yes. I mean, it is, there's so much that's interesting here and it's, you know, it shows one, how complicated all the, all these conversations are, that it's not simply about how do you identify, it's all these other values that are driving. And, you know, it should be said that some of these things like, you know, I didn't dig deep into this, but one of the things that differentiates the democratic groups is views toward our engagement, uh, uh, abroad. Um, U.S. should pay less attention overseas and focus on problems at home. Just because there's a division there with these democratic groups doesn't mean that that's actually a vote driver or is going to, you know, necessarily matter to to different Democratic voters when they're thinking about, let's say, a primary or a congressional primary or a presidential primary or, you know, thinking about whether or not they're open to other presidential candidates. You know, I'm not convinced that just because there are differences here means that they are vote drivers. Um, still, all that, all taken together, all this shows how much more complicated these conversations can be. And it's why we can't even just look, do breakouts of party anymore. We have to do breakouts of different subgroups within party because there, some of these differences are actually quite significant. Um, 
And how do people identify? Because I mean, the other thing is these labels come after the fact. They are, you know, done in post, right? They are done with the data afterwards. People are not walking into the survey saying, I'm a devout and diverse Democrat. I'm a solid liberal. I'm a opportunity Democrat. So people just say, I am a Democrat, but you know, sometimes I feel concerned about X, Y, and Z about my party, or I like this candidate or that candidate. So then how can you, you know, use these differences that exist? And do you just try to smush everyone together? Do you try to like tease out these differences, give names to them and find ways for people to feel like, oh yes, okay, I get what you're saying. That that speaks to me. Um, I don't know the answer to that, but one thing where people did agree generally is that majorities across every one of these groups, except for the newer enterprisers says it's job, stressful. <laughs> it's stressful and frustrating to talk about politics. <laughs> That's one thing we all can share. Um, which I guess is so not really good news. The, the one I, I did say that there was a, a, a modest beef here, so I'll air it. Um, I saw this on uh, Twitter. Uh, Kevin Glass, who I enjoy following, uh, went through and took the quiz a couple of different times um, just to see, you know, if he tweaked a, an answer here or there, what would happen. Um, and he fr was frustrated. He said, the very first question on Pew's political typology survey is a false choice, but I'm going to keep going. And the question was, which of the following statements comes closest to your view? The government should do more to help needy Americans, even if it means going deeper into debt, versus the government today can't afford to do much more to help the needy. And I agree with him that it's a false choice. I don't love either of those. Um, you know, the idea that we need to spend more to help needy Americans versus, well, we can't afford to do more to help the needy. There are things you could do to help the needy that are not going to cost the government an arm and a leg, and there's no reason why we shouldn't be doing them. And but there's no, there's and then some no people and that. some people might argue, look, this isn't about the debt. This is we just shouldn't do it, you know, right? I mean, it's that would be the an, role of it's wrong for the government to help the, you know. So these questions are not perfect, and they know the the instructions at the beginning of the quiz say even if neither of these is perfect, pick the one you're closest to. I don't like to. the word using the word needy in one of these questions either. I wonder if this is one of those ones they've been asking for a hundred years yeah. and so they've just got to keep it consistent. Um, yeah. But it, so as a sorting tool, it still intrigues me, even if it frustrates me because I'm like, I don't like either of these answers. I want to help the poor, but I don't want to add to the I debt. And I think you could make things more efficient because I'm a new era enterprise. I thought I was Woo. in the Slytherin <laughs> typology. <laughs> um, so, okay. I, that is my... That is my modest critique. Yeah. I digress. Yeah. And so, and then the slide, I decided it before, but it, oh, the only group where a majority of them say it would be strain if one of my friends said they voted for the other person would be among solid liberals. Everybody else is like, I could probably handle it. Democrats a little bit less yeah. so than Republicans, but a majority of solid liberals say, yeah, that's not going to work for me. Yeah. Um, so very briefly, I before we move to our uh, Halloween polling uh, I'll talk about another scary thing. <laughs> so the news broke earlier this week. All right, rant of the week. Rant of the week, rant of the week. Uh, <laughs> that Cambridge Analytica um, head Alex Nix had reached out to Julian Assange about Hillary Clinton's missing emails and I believe if there were things they could collaborate on. And Assange says, yes, this is true. No, I rejected his offer and did not want to work with him. So whatever. Setting all of that aside, this brought Cambridge Analytica and their role with the Trump campaign back into the forefront. And I got asked about it on Morning Joe this morning. And listeners to the show will know that I am far from a shill for the Trump campaign. I am often quite critical of this Despite that one review, yes. Despite that one review, um, I am critical when I think criticism is warranted. But this time, what amuses me is there is a press release now that the Trump campaign has put out really distancing themselves from Cambridge Analytica. Like, who are these guys? I don't even know these guys. We use the RNC for data. What are you talking about? And so they asked me about it on Morning Joe, and I was like, actually, I I think there's some truth in that press release that I think the original narrative about the role Cambridge Analytica played in engineering Trump's victory was extremely overblown. Like that was the buzz, at least in Republican data circles, was that this is – I think somebody gives a quote in one story like all, all hat and no cattle, that it was very – 
splashy and marketing-y and, oh, they're connected to the Mercers and Bannon. And it was like all like the, ne- the yeah, flash. Yeah, can pinpoint neurotic cat owners and, you know. Yeah, and everybody thinks like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. Uh, but that the reality was much less impressive and much less influential. And so if you talk to – so anyhow, I've said this on air. I said, look, the buzz in Republican data circles for a long time has been that Cambridge Analytica was much less prominent in that effort than was sold, that it was a lot of like, ooh, we're doing fancy data dark arts, but that uh, that the reality was less impressive. And I will tell you, my Twitter feed lit up like a Christmas tree. I made the mistake of turning off the quality filter on my notifications. Mm. Mm, that was a mistake. I mean, it lit up as if I had gone on Fox News and said like, guys, there's not really... Was it, was it everything you there's said? Not, <laughs> there's not as much to the Uranium One story as you're saying. And people would be like, rah. That's kind of, like, there were all sorts of people that were like, why are you a Trump shill? It's obvious that the connection is Cambridge Analytica, Assange, Putin. That's, this is, and look, maybe it is. Maybe it is. I'm just saying that when the Trump campaign puts out a statement saying, actually, Cambridge Analytica was not that big a part of our team... This is not something that surprises me or stretches the boundaries of my imagination, given the gossip and buzz. Now, granted, there is good reporting by Sasha um, Sasha Eisenberg and Joshua Green, where they said, look, Cambridge was one of the big sources of, camp- of polling that the campaign relied on. And I would just like to read this brief excerpt from um, uh, from Devil's Bargain which is that Trump's team had access to three different sources of polling, its own, run by Kellyanne Conway and a trio of Republican pollsters, who we have talked to on the show and have at times been fairly complimentary of their efforts. Um, Then, I'm going back to the story, large-scale surveys conducted by the GOP firm Target Point that fed into the RNC's micro-targeting model. Yes, and there's been plenty reported on that. The establishment. The establishment. That's what the press release from the Trump campaign says they used. And then, and then another set of surveys by Cambridge Analytica, a London data science outfit contracted by the campaign to build a sophisticated model of its own. None of them pointed toward victory. Which is consistent with what we've heard, and I think it's been reported, but I'll just be elliptical about it, which is that Cambridge Analytica was like talking before the election. I mean, look, everybody was indicating, I mean, we've said this before, everybody was indicating on background, on the record, whatever, qualitative, everything that they were pointing toward a Clinton win. Which Tony is Fabrizio, why I get so mad when people are like, we knew we were going to win. I'm like, Tony Fabrizio said it on the show that he thought on election day Clinton was like, he had no, there was no reason for him to. But Tony owned up to it. And and look, he had a better, I, I believe him when he says he gave Trump a 45% chance of winning. Why would he, why? Because yeah. he's, why would you lie about like that? After the fact, yes. And so, um, so, so there's that. And I think Cambridge Analytica also reinforced that perception in their on, you know, on background conversations before the election. The Trump people on election day were already kind of managing expectations before the numbers came in because they too thought that they were going to lose. So anyway, but that's separate from what's the role of what was the role of Cambridge Analytica, but for them to say that they predicted it or that they were able to target neurotic cat owners and that was a secret to the victory, it, it, none of that is, you know, it doesn't really make sense when you so, look at that. So, uh, look, I wasn't on the Trump campaign. Yeah. I wasn't in those rooms. I do not know how important or unimportant they really were. We're I am really- merely reporting on the buzz within the circles yeah. that we travel. If you really want the unvarnished, like – feelings i highly recommend the twitter feed of luke thompson um at lt thompson take the n off of the word thompson at the end mm, lt okay. thompson got it uh he has a lot of thoughts and feelings okay good thoughts they're, are, they're worth a read <laughs> thoughts and feelings are good we like thoughts and feelings um but it's also this is also kind of similar to the just broader like East Coast, West Coast, pollster versus analytics fight that's going on. I don't know if it's a fight, but like debate, you know, is one good, is one new, and one's old, is one, you know, more creative, and one is just, you know, a trailing indicator rather than a, you know, leading indicator. You know, I I don't think that this, I don't think that's been settled, but this is, I think, reflects some of that conversation, the sense that people have been, thinking that analytics, that's the next new thing that's going to solve everyone's problem. When this is not the first time I've heard, not to now expose anybody else's internal beef with their consultants on some other races, but it's not the first time people are like, hey, I had this analytics thing and I thought, you know, 
that it was going to produce some, you know, magic for me. And then no magic appeared and I still lost. Like it does not turn a candidate that's going to lose into a candidate that's going to win simply because there are analytics around. We are advocates of using data to make smart choices. This is the world we live in, but you have to be, uh, conscious of the limitations of what is and is not possible all of it so anyhow all of which is to say my pushback was that the buzz was that cambridge analytica did not play as large a role in engineering the trump victory as was being claimed that is not saying that they didn't talk to assange because they've even claimed it that is not it's not saying they don't have any culpability or whatever it is perhaps more a commentary on the perceived efficacy of efforts but whatever so there you go for the the person who tweeted at us wanting me to actually go forth with the rant you're welcome (laughs) yolo rant it's a rant a week okay let's let's talk about halloween i can i tell you i love halloween it is literally my favorite holiday for sure it is so much better when you have kids everybody is so freaking like spooked out (laughs) in my neighborhood like it's you know it's i mean it's uh it's like I don't know. We just love Halloween and Tacoma. I think everybody is now f- f- pretty into the Halloween, not just Tacoma Park, but you can see where these numbers, $9 billion in Halloween spending. I mean, Halloween seems like it's gotten a lot bigger. I don't think it's just in my neighborhood. 72% of Americans are going to celebrate Halloween in some way. A third are throwing or attending a party. I mean, this is these numbers are pretty high. This is from Wallet Hub. They sent us this very a bunch of snazzy little infographics. Almost $4 billion on costumes. I mean, this is a lot. Over 2 million children are dressing as an animal. Almost 4 million are dressing as superheroes. 3.2 million adults will dress as a Batman character. 5.8 million adults will dress as a witch. Although this picture is like... I'm annoyed. uh, I'm annoyed that in all... Witches with short skirts and thigh-high boots on, which like if I dress as Hermione Granger, I am also technically dressing as a... Right. Witch. If you go to the previous, there's another one where they have like almost half of Americans plan to dress up in costumes and they have like a sexy cop girl. So I'm a little bit annoyed that all the like cartoons in this people are dressing up in costumes are like, you know, teenage college age girls and like little schoolgirl kind of costumes. But anyway, let's just table that for a moment. Um, that beef with the designer clearly has a thing for those costumes. Um, I'm just kind of amazed. So 1927 is when trick or treat was first used. The phrase first used. Wow. Okay. Um, what else do we have here? Hun- over. Ooh, so this one, 62% of parents admit to secretly eating their child's candy. Well, Margie, yeah, do you course. have a confession to of make? Of course. <laughs> Obviously. Oh, and 80%. Where's the one that was like 80% of parents have to go through the candy to make sure there's nothing dangerous? That's me. Like that little graphic of like this mom going through like an angry pumpkin full of candy. That's totally me. That's because we have a nut allergy. So I have to go through everything. Yeah, I- you, that's a legitimate reason. Yeah. So it's not just because I'm like looking for razor blades, which is. I think a bit much, but, um, discuss Halloween safety. No, that's, I don't do that. But, um, $13 million in Halloween property damage. I don't know some of these may be a little bit of a stretch, but, um, it is 36% think 12 or 13 is old enough for a child to trick or treat alone. I mean, it is definitely old enough. 36% of the rest of you don't like think you're old. the end of when yeah, you should be, like, you should be able all. to go at like nine, I think. And depending on your neighborhood, but I think like, I think like eight or nine, I think the kids in my neighborhood would be going at eight or nine. I mean, the kids in my neighborhood, like it's, I mean, there is literally like a free range, like one of those free range moms is running for office, like from my neighbor. Like, I mean, that's kind of where we are, but, um, Still, I think 13, 12, and 13 is definitely old enough to go trick-or-treating by yourself, for sure. Um, anyway, my kids are going as superheroes. Beckett is going as Gecko, which is this, like, there's some cartoon I've never seen that he's obsessed with, which is, like, kids go to sleep and when in their pajamas, and then while they're asleep, they turn into superheroes, and it's Bat Boy, Gecko, and Owlette, and so... He's, he's, he has like a gecko mask and he's pretty excited. Right. And then Lucy's going as Wonder Woman. So, 
And I have a fantastic video of them dancing around the house talking about fighting crime, but they're naked, so I can't post it anywhere because I'll get arrested. <laughs> but it's super cute. <laughs> You'll just have to take please, my word for please it. Please <laughs> don't get arrested for that, Margie. <laughs> if oh you know gosh. me in real life and you see me in person, I will show it, happily show it to you. <laughs> but that's it. <laughs> so we ended the show on naked naked videos. Yes. Great, great. That's right. <laughs> So That's right. What did we learn this, this, is, this, week? Is, this is When women rule the world, these are the kinds of naked videos that people will be showing instead of whatever else is out there. Okay. So key findings. I kind of wish we would get a break from polling about Trump's reckless tweets, sexual harassment, and white nationalism. But then we wouldn't have much of a show left, it seems like. Um, Pew's political typology shows it's more complicated than red team, blue team. You can start going up to people and say, hey, are you my type? Um, and on um, – uh, YOLO rants. It's not so complicated. We are for them. We support them. And I love Halloween. I don't have anything snarky to say. I just love it. And we love you guys. You can find us at the pollsters at, at the pollsters on Twitter. Uh, we're also individually at Margie O'Mero and at K Soltis Anderson. You can find us at www.thepolsters.com where we have a whole bunch of cool curated links to polling resources and on Facebook where throughout the week we post links to the stories that we might be talking about on an upcoming show. Make sure you write a review, send us your feedback. We love to hear from you. Those five star reviews really help promote us, get us in front of potential new listeners and it just really makes our day. Yes. We see them. Thanks. Bye.